Wow. Thank you for the warm welcome. Yay. Um, like Pastor Mina said, it is Women's Ministry Month. Isn't that a beautiful logo? It's beautiful, right? really love it. Um, and I was just thinking about it, praying about the Women's Ministry Month, and I just want to encourage you to just see it not in the natural of, oh, you know, it's just the month where you see prettier faces up on the pulpit. But, you know, there's a grace in this month to see breakthrough in this area. And I want you to really take a hold of that grace, you know, and really pray and fast into um, this month. I I just want to go straight into the message. So why don't we all turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. (laughs) Okay, is everyone there? We're going to read it all together, even if you have a different version. We read from the ESV version, but even if you have a different version, why don't we just all read it together? Okay, ready, set, go. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Okay, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you need to grow up. Some of you are very satisfied as you're saying this. <laughs> you're like, I've been wanting to say this to this person for a long time, right? <laughs> hey, you can thank me later for giving you the chance to say that. Um, earlier in this chapter, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul... <laughs> okay, sorry, I was, I was talking over there. So um, earlier in this chapter, Paul talks about the fivefold ministers. Um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. And he talks about how they are a gift to the body of Christ, right? They are given to the body of Christ as a free gift in order to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know, this means that if you are a believer of Christ, you're first of all, you're a saint, okay? And second of all, you are called to be a minister. It doesn't mean, it doesn't matter whether you're a teacher. It doesn't matter whether you're an office worker. You know, whatever job or occupation you may have, your calling is to be a minister. And you're also called to be a bodybuilder. Okay. You're called to build up the body of Christ. You're a bodybuilder. Okay. Paul continues on to say that the fivefold ministers are also given to build up the saints to the place of maturity. Everyone say maturity. Maturity. Yes. So in Ephesians 4, verse 14, he says, so that we may no longer be children. Okay. And here Paul is not talking to the youth group or the children's ministry of the church of Ephesus. He's talking to adults like you and I. Okay. But these adults were still infants in their thinking and in their spirituality. And, you know, Jesus loves all the children of the world, right? (laughs) And he calls us to nurture a childlike heart before him. But then Jesus doesn't call us to be childish. There's a difference between being childlike and having a childish faith, okay? So today I just want to talk to you about the stages of maturity and how it applies in terms of our, you know, like biological maturity, maturity in marriage, and maturity in spiritual life. So the first stage, is, I'm going to use the story of the prodigal son. This is a very familiar story. So it's a story you know, of a young man who wastes his inheritance in frivolous living, 
you know, he takes the inheritance that um, usually was supposed to be given when his dad passes away, but he just takes it and goes off, wastes it away, and eventually he comes back to his father and receives forgiveness and is embraced by the father. And in the story in verse uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 12, it says, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Okay, so the first stage is give me. Okay, so everyone biologically, you start off in the give me stage. No matter how mature you are right now, you are born into the give me stage. Okay, give me, give me, give me, give me candy, give me toys. There's children here today, so I feel like you know it's very apt. But give me, you know, give me this, give me that, and you know when you are interacting with little kids and you try to take something from them, what do they do? They're like, no, it's mine, right? And you're like, all right, backing off, right? And, you know, children shouldn't be punished. They shouldn't be scolded for this kind of behavior because they actually need to learn a healthy sense of ownership before they learn how to share and before they learn how to give. But every parent's hope is that their child will outgrow the give me stage. Amen, amen, parents? Yes? Okay, you don't want, you know, you don't want your kid to remain in this give me stage till they're like 21. Um, so how about spiritually? Spiritually, we also start off in the give me stage. Uh, let me ask you a question. Why did you become a Christian? You're giving me blank stares. Um, no, most of us, we came to Christ because we really didn't want to go to hell. Okay? And many of us returned to God after being backslidden because we were in a desperate state, you know, our life was a mess, and Jesus was the only one there to help us. So it wasn't, we didn't become a Christian so that we may serve Christ and go on all these mission trips and save, you know, 20 other people, but we came to Christ for selfish reasons, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says that for a man to see the kingdom of God, he must be born again. And when a person is born again, when he comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's like that person is a baby. You know, you can be born again when you're 50 years old, but you're still a baby, spiritually. And what do baby Christians do? They're constantly asking you for things. Like, give me prayer. Give me counsel. Give me advice. Give me affirmation. Give me more Bible study. And once again, this is a normal stage that we all need to walk through. But it becomes a problem when the person has had plenty of time to grow up, but they refuse to move on to the next stage of maturity. So how do you, how do you notice Christians who are stuck in the gimme stage? I think one sign is Christians who date the church. They go from one church to another. It's called church hopping, right? And they're afraid of commitment because the fear of commitment is actually a sign of immaturity. You know, you're giving reasons like, well, I'm not getting fed there. You know, the pastor's sermon, is, it's all right, but it's not what I want. It's not what I need. But did you know that you can actually open up the Bible and feed yourself? Yeah. But did you know that you can go to a Christian bookstore and buy some books and actually supplement the meals that you receive at church? Right. And you say, oh, well, you know, the worship style, it's all right. Pastor Herman, you know, he's okay, but it's not what I really would like. And... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's never heard that, but, um, but you know, the Holy Spirit is supposed to lead you to the church that he wants you at. You're not supposed to have a list of 
you know, wants and all these criteria. And then you're like, check, check, check. All right, this is the church I'm supposed to be at. But the Holy Spirit will sometimes lead you to a church that, you know, it may not have everything that you want or you need. You know, you may find a pastor who's very offensive at church. But that person may be the exact person that God wants to set over you. And so this kind of consumer mentality is indicative of a Christian who is immature and stuck in the give me stage. Where their whole focus is on what they need and what they want. Okay, I'm not married, but let me talk about marriage here. So married people in this room, you can help me out with your amens. All right? Uh, Every marriage begins in the give me stage. It's not where marriage ends up. It's not where marriage has to end up, but it's where marriage starts. And Pastor Caleb, you know, um, I was there when he proposed to Pastor Mina. It was on the rooftop of our Itaewon church office. A couple of us were there, actually. And I remember when he went to her and he did this foot washing ceremony. And he was washing her feet. You know, it was very beautiful, very touching. And I'm not sure exactly what he said to her, but I'm sure he said something like, you know, Mina, I'm going to love you for the rest of your life. And I will serve you. Yes. I will serve you all the days of my life. Beautiful. And actually, Pastor Caleb is one of the most servant-hearted people that I know. Um, but even for him, I'm sure that he must have thought about whether Mina can fulfill his needs or not. And, you know, for Pastor Mina, I'm sure it's the same way. So every man will think, will this woman fulfill my needs? Now, will this man, will he satisfy my emotional needs, you know, my physical needs, or my relational needs, right? And even, even okay, let's not, let's not even get to marriage. Like, even before marriage, for us singles, most of us here are single. Uh, so in New Philadelphia, there was an epidemic that swept through the singles of our church. And let's just call it identifying our non-negotiables, okay? So if you've been guilty of this, I've been guilty of it myself. I'm not saying it's wrong, by the way. I'm just kind of saying it humorously. But we all did this thing where we were identifying a list of non-negotiable qualities and traits that we wanted in our future spouse. Things that we considered vital that we were unwilling to back down on. So we would, you know, have these conversations with our friends and we'd be like, so what's your non-negotiables, you know? And I've heard many of them. Let me just give you a few examples. He needs to be tall. These are non-negotiables, okay? (laughs) She needs to be a good dancer. Yes, I've heard it. Or, oh my gosh, she needs to be able to sing, okay? He needs to be a leader. She need, or he needs to be more mature than I am. She needs to love children, okay? And the list goes on. And I'm not trying to bash on the importance of identifying the type of person we are attracted to or the qualities that we want in our future spouse. But isn't it interesting how we are so quick to identify our needs and how even before we get to marriage, our focus is on what I need and what will make me happy. I can't marry him because he's too short. It happens. Um, and although, you know, we may start off selfishly, the p- real problem once again surfaces when we remain in this stage. And you may see marriages ending in divorce when there's an inability to move beyond this give me stage. Okay, stage number two is use me. Someone say use me. Use me. God, use me. 
I want to serve you. God, use me for your purposes. And this is a legitimate, a mature, there is a legitimate and a mature form of use me. But here I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a hidden form of selfishness that appears to be mature but lacks the substance of maturity. And have you ever met people who are in positions of leadership, whether they're a worship leader or a pastor, and you get to know them and their character just does not line up with their position? And this often happens when people are given leadership positions in the church prematurely before they even spend time, let's say, in the service team mopping the floors, growing their character. So this first stage was gimme, gimme, gimme. Give me, give me, give me because of my selfish desires. The second stage is use me, use me, use me because of my selfish ambitions. It's so that I can feel important and I can be noticed and I can be honored and accepted by men. And if you look in Acts chapter 8, there's an interesting story of a man named Simon the magician or Simon the sorcerer. And this man, he, you know, he was uh, dabbling in this magic and stuff in Samaria And he becomes a Christian through the work of the apostles. And then he's following the apostles around. He's following around Peter and John. And then he sees them laying hands on people. And then the Spirit of God rushes upon these people. And there's signs and wonders. So, I mean, imagine that you were already interested in the supernatural kind of stuff. And then you see the real deal, right? And so, of course, he just has this kind of desire to uh, to move in the same kinds of signs and wonders. And so it says that when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he also said, give me, give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And at first glance, it may seem noble, like, oh, maybe he just wants to really bless people. He just wants to be used to bring, you know, just people to Christ. Um, but actually, you know, the whole story shows us that he was attracted to the power. And his use me was an immature form that was driven by selfishness and fleshly ambition. So in marriage, like I was saying, we start off in this give me stage. And the message was meet my needs and make me happy. But after a while, people realize, wow, this person can't make me happy. Um, married, married people in here... You can testify, but from what I know from my married friends, your spouse can't make you happy, ultimately. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> so he or she cannot complete you. No matter what Hollywood says to you, he or she cannot complete you. Don't get me wrong. You can have a happy marriage, and I've seen some beautiful and happy marriages But if your happiness depends on your spouse, you will be disappointed because God has to be the source of your happiness and the source of your fulfillment. (laughs) Once again, I'm not married, so I'm not speaking from experience, but doesn't this apply to a lot of other things in our life, right? We often look to the future, future fulfillment of some kind of lack or need that we feel in our present time and we say that if i can just if that area can just be fixed and i'll be happy if i can just get that dream job i'll be happy if i can just escape my singleness i'll be happy you know if i can just i don't know pay off all my college loans i'll be happy but whatever our one thing may be on which we are banking our future happiness 
If we do not learn to be satisfied in the Lord right now, no future turn of event will satisfy us. So eventually people figure out that their spouse cannot make them happy. And so what do they do? A lot of them, they say, well, let me do something. No, let me achieve my goals. And let me, you know, spend my time in my work, in my ministry. And let me try to find my sense of significance there. And many marriages, they have this one spouse that's consumed by their work or their ambitions. And then the other spouse becomes estranged, not isolated. And this is where a lot of divorces take place. When people start to look to other means and look to other places to fill their need for acceptance and for significance. So why did God create marriage? Right? So funny that I'm single and I'm talking about marriage, but... (laughs) So God created... (laughs) Thank you, Anthony. So God created marriage not to make you happy, but to make you holy. And when you are holy you will find greater intimacy with God. And the more of God you experience, the more of true happiness you experience. So marriage is about happiness, but it's about holiness first. And you need to learn to die to yourself. You need to learn to be selfless. Why? Because God is love. And what kind of love does he have? He has agape love. And agape love is a selfless kind of love. And marriage is designed to make you selfless and to eventually draw you into deeper intimacy with the Lord as you are being sanctified into his likeness. And if your relationship with your spouse isn't enough, God gives you children. (laughs) So um, I've had the honor and the joy of, you know, kind of hanging out with Grace and Karis a couple times. And I'm always amazed and blown away by two things. One is, why is she so cute? You know, I keep looking at her. I'm like, Karis, you know. And the second thing that I'm blown away even more by is how selfless Grace and Herman have to be. And, you know, I'm really naughty about my sleep schedule. A- Anna, my roommate, she will tell you, but I need my sleep. You know, and if you try to interrupt it, I will probably not react very pastorally to you. But... <laughs> You know, when I see Grace and Herman, they have to wake up in the middle of the night, like a couple times sometimes. They have to rock her to sleep in the middle of the night for like two hours. And I'm like looking at it, I'm like, wow. It takes so much energy. It takes so much sacrifice to raise your children. And babies don't even write you thank you cards. You know, Karis doesn't care. She doesn't even know. But, <laughs> I mean, hopefully later on she will honor them for what they've done. But right now, they, she doesn't really care, right? So this kind of selflessness that is being developed in you it comes through marriage it comes through um your children but this use me is a it's a a good thing to say to god like i was saying but when you are young and immature we often say it for the wrong reasons so i'm not saying don't like stop serving i'm not saying stop serving or to stop asking god to and saying use me but it's about watching your intentions and examining your heart And don't be like King Saul, right? I think in small group, we've been learning some about King Saul. And King Saul, he was used mightily by God. And we we talk about a lot of David and what, you know, God did through David. But King Saul was actually used in the beginning in a very mighty, you know, way by the Lord. Uh, But his concern was always more about how he looked in front of his people. He wanted to preserve his reputation more than obey the voice of the Lord. And a lot of us say to God, use me. But 
kind of there's, there's something else there in the back that we don't really say. Use me so that I can look good. Use me so that I can be honored. Use me so that I can stand in front of people and have them honor me and accept me. But, you know, God wants to mature you to a place where you say, God, use me so that your name will be famous. I want you to be known, God. I want you to be glorified. Okay, Luke 15, 17, back to the prodigal son story. He says, it says, but when he, the prodigal son, came to himself. So in Korean, it's like, 정신 차렸어, right? So he came to himself. He had this revelation. And what it is, is in other words, the prodigal son took a moment to search his own heart. And so stage three is search me. Everyone say, search me. Okay, so if you really want to grow up, you really want to mature, you need to come before God and start praying, Lord, search me. Search my heart, God. And quit blaming others for your situation. Learn to take responsibility for your actions. Because as long as you are blaming others for the situations in your life, you will never mature in your spiritual walk. Even a hint of blame in your heart towards someone is going to stunt your growth. It's going to halt your maturing process. So where did this whole blame game start? It started in the Garden of Eden. You know, the, uh, the serpent came and tempted uh, Eve. And, and then Eve was like, here, Adam, why don't you eat this fruit? Adam ate it. And then God confronted him. And what did he say? It's a woman's fault. It's the woman's fault. Blame game, right? But if you look closely, he also says, the woman you gave me. So who else is he blaming? God. Hey, blame game. And then Eve blames the serpent. And unfortunately, people in our, you know, even now, we are still playing this blame game, not taking responsibility for our actions. And marriages will fall and suffer. It will will fall apart and suffer because of this blame game. And I speak from personal experience because you know, my dad and my mom, they would often play this game of blaming each other. So if I did something really nice and my brother did something really good, my dad would be like, oh, that's because he, he takes after me. You know? And then when we would do something wrong or, you know, do something bad, he will immediately turn to my mom and say, it's because she's like you. It's because you didn't educate her right. And so... You know, this kind of game, it's, it's very detrimental to marriage. And then you bring the in-laws in, right? And I mean, you can go on and on about the blame game. Um, and when you start playing this game, it's always the other person's fault. And me, I'm always the victim. It's your fault that I'm not happy. It's your fault that I can't achieve my dreams. And brothers and sisters, this is a dangerous game to play. Why? Because as long as you remain in this stage and you're blaming everyone else, you're never going to take responsibility for your own life. Never going to move beyond where you are right now. And Psalm chapter 139, there's a beautiful verse that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And we should be praying this prayer every day, more often actually at least, because a lot of times we don't know ourselves very well. And I, and I see this in myself too. It's really easy for me to spot the immaturity in other people. 
I'm like, oh, yeah, mm, immature, needs to grow up. You know, <laughs> but if you ask me, like, well, in what ways are you immature? I'll be like, mm, I don't know. You know, it's, it's harder to, to really see the ways in which you need to grow. So I would encourage you to pray, Holy Spirit, I'm not, a, I'm not aware of my issues. Holy Spirit, search me. Reveal to me the ways in me that I can start to develop in and walk in greater maturity. God, grow me in my character. And sometimes we may ask God, God, search me. And he may give you that kind of personal revelation. Like, you need to fix this in your life, right? But then when you pray that, sometimes he may send you your spiritual authority. He may send you your small group leader or Pastor Mina or Pastor Caleb. Why? Because your spiritual authority has a greater discernment into your life than you think. They're not just there to, I don't know, preach every Sunday. But God gives them the discernment that they need to lead you and shepherd you. And a lot of times when someone comes to us or spiritual authority comes to us and highlights this area and searches your heart for you, what do many people do? A wall instantly goes up, right? And they shut them out. You know, we block out their words. They call us, they email us, and then you just ignore them. And uh, we've, been, we've been in this, like, kind of preparation for the leadership banquet, right? And it's all about honor. And our sister Anna, she was leading Sunday Swim today, and she was talking about how honor, it costs us something. It's costly, And can I just say, if you really want to honor your spiritual authority, like, sure, buy them ice cream, buy them whatever, like, give them gifts and words of affirmation. But more than anything, steward their words. You know, honor their words. When they call you and they try to talk to you and speak into your life, don't shut them out. Honor their words. And a lot of times it's the pride, it's the fear, the insecurities that makes you kind of put that wall up. But once again, honor costs you something. It costs you to die to your pride. And it costs you to die to your fears. And these walls, when you put it up, it will isolate you. It will make you unteachable. And then in the end, it will make you unreachable. It's a dangerous place to be when nobody is able to speak into your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when we stop listening to each other, it's just a matter of time before you stop listening to God. So many Christians, they actually don't even get to the stage of search me where they're dealing with their issues. Why? Because once again, it's easier to play the blame game. It's easy to put up the walls and play the victim and feel bad for yourself. But you may say, you know, Lydia, you don't get me. You don't understand what I've been through. You know, if it wasn't for my mom or if it wasn't for my best friend in high school, if it wasn't for my ex-boyfriend, you know, I wouldn't be like this. You don't understand what I've been through. And yeah, I don't understand everything you've been through. And I recognize that all of us have been through real, painful life experiences, many times because of another person. And God has compassion on you. And he does not hold you accountable for another person's actions. However, he does hold you accountable for your actions and your reactions. God may not hold you responsible for what happened to you, but he does hold you responsible for how you respond to it. So this is your choice, okay? Are you going to choose to open your heart and forgive and release the bitterness, or will you choose to hold on to your anger and hold on to unforgiveness? 
I think I've been realizing that it takes real courage to allow God to search our hearts, to face the issues of our heart, and to give other people the permission to speak into our lives. It takes courage and faith to mature. But it takes no courage and no effort and no faith to remain in the same place. Uh, Luke chapter 15, once again, verse 19. Uh, the prodigal son says, make me to be one of your hired men. And the fourth stage is, make me. Everyone say, make me. Psalm 23, 4, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Psalm 119, 27, make me understand the way of your precepts. And Isaiah 64, 8, beautiful verse again. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. You guys know the song, right? A lot of times when I sing it, I would accidentally switch it. Like, I am the potter and you are the clay. I'll be like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I feel like I'm blaspheming. Anyways. Um, so this is a stage when your heart is just fully surrendered to the Lord. And you're saying, make me, God, and mold me into the person you want me to be. Make me to be a man or a woman of character, of integrity, of faithfulness. Make my heart to be pleasing in your eyes. And you're unafraid in this stage. You're unafraid to open your heart to God in full surrender. You're saying to God, God, I know you're for me. God, I know that your plans are to prosper me. So make me. It's a pure place of being used by God where it's not all about doing, 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 but it's about a doing that flows from being. It's about uh, being used from a place of relationship where you're being refined and purified by God as you walk with him. And it reminds me of of the story of Mary and Martha. And we often look at this story and we say, yeah, Mary, you know, she's, that's good. Mary, Mary chose the better one, better thing. And Jesus did say Mary chose the better thing because Martha was, you know, she was doing all the chores. She was preparing uh, food for Jesus. And Mary was just sitting at his feet, right, basking in his presence. And it's kind of like, it's kind of, we, we may kind of look at this story and think, well, we shouldn't do all this work like Martha did. But when Jesus said Mary chose the better thing, that means that what Martha did was also good. They're both good, but Mary just chose the better thing. And I think there's maturity when Mary and Martha are both in your life, and you're just, it's just a matter of priority. What are you prioritizing? And John Maxwell said, character is closing the gap between knowing and doing. Okay. So how many of you here, you want God to make you? If you want God to make you, say Amen. Yeah, a lot, we want God to make us like Jesus Christ. And we often think of character growth as a very, very, very slow process. It's like watching fruit grow on a tree, right? And you pretty much can't see anything, and it's only after a long time that you're like, oh, wow, I grew and I changed. And yes, to a certain extent, I agree that there are no shortcuts to character growth and to maturity. But did you know that there is a way that you can quicken your character growth. So Romans 5, 3 to 4, there's a secret to it. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance or perseverance, and endurance produces character. So pain and suffering are the key to your character growth. It's the way for your character to grow a lot faster 
and a lot more efficiently. And it's a lot more effective than reading up on, you know, when you want to love someone, you can read like 20 books on it, listen to 20 podcasts. But when God actually puts an unlovable unlovable person in your life, it's a lot faster. You learn a lot faster. Isn't that true? Um, (laughs) When you look at men and women who have both achievements and the character, these are people who are not like Samson. Because Samson had, you know, he had the prowess, right? He he had the anointing. He had the spirit of God upon him. And he killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. And we can be like, wow, that's awesome, right? But he lacked the character because he shouldn't have been touching that jawbone in the first place as a Nazarite, okay? But men and women who had great achievements and great character, men like Joseph, men like David, or the Apostle Paul, and women like Esther and Ruth, they all persevered through great trials and suffering. Joseph, who got beat up by his brothers and sold into slavery, got falsely accused of rape, and then got thrown into prison. David, who was running away from Saul, was trying to pin him to the wall. You know, he had to act like a madman to save his own life, right, drooling everywhere and things like that. So this was intense suffering that they went through. But brothers and sisters, the key to gaining character is not just suffering. It's persevering through suffering. It says knowing that suffering produces endurance, and it's perseverance and endurance that produces character. There's a lot of people who go through trials. You know, you've talked to people, and you, man, you, you look at that, you're like, man, you went through so much. Have you ever met people like that where they're just crazy life stories, right? And the thing is, some of these people, their character remains the same because it's not the suffering itself, but it's the response to the suffering. Suffering alone does not produce character because a wrong response can actually make your heart bitter and it can actually harden your heart. So the question is, how will you respond? And a lot of times for me, I know in my mind, I'm like, yes, I need to persevere. I need to you know, just make my way through this situation, through this trial. But I realized after a while that my idea of perseverance was just tolerating the pain. It was just me being like, I'm going to clench my teeth and I'm just going to you know, just wait till God delivers me from this situation. But brothers and sisters, God doesn't call you to just tolerate the situation. He calls you to be victorious. And when you are really victorious, it's, yes, it is when your situation changes and you need to pray, right? You need to ask God to deliver you from that situation. But more than that, it's how are you going to make your way to that deliverance? Now, are you going to continue to just clench your teeth and just survive your way through or are you going to rejoice your way through knowing that the suffering is working for you and making you but you know you you get fired at your job your coworkers start slandering you gossiping about you your family members persecute you and not many people actually start to say praise the lord ptl you know you don't see many statuses on facebook like that but a lot of people start to complain and they start to moan and be like god please hurry up and get me out of this situation So what happens? All that suffering and the trial is for nothing. And then what does God do? He brings you through it again. (laughs) You know, it's like, all right, lesson not learned. Okay, let's do this again. Okay. Ideally, we would glean all the lessons 
and mature in every way that God has prepared for us to mature so that after this test, we will be, we will have a bigger assignment to tackle that God wants to give us. Because as we grow in this proven faithfulness before the Lord, and as our character grows, God will give us bigger assignments. So for us to go from glory to glory, we must learn to persevere through the growing pains of life. Learn to rejoice in suffering. Learn to be like Paul and Silas. You know, when they got whipped and they were sent to prison, and what did they do? They just started to sing and praise God. Now we see that as the exception. Like, oh, that's because they're just super holy. But this is for you. <laughs> this is the commandment of God is to rejoice. And this is a verse, James 1.4, that I've been kind of chewing on lately. And it says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, it says, let perseverance finish its work. Don't ask God to abort your trial before perseverance has finished its work in you, before you have become mature and complete. But learn to share in the fellowship of Christ's suffering and count it all joy because every trial that you go through is a blessing in disguise. It's meant to promote you, like Pastor Benjamin was saying, right? There's a promotion that's coming. Okay, the last stage is send me. And I'm just going to go through it very quickly. In Isaiah 6, 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I send me. And as we grow up and we become mature, God will look for those people who he can send out. But that's when you come to him and you say, God, send me. Send me. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this is when you understand that your life is for the purpose of glorifying God and your life, your transformation is for the transformation of the world. And I just want to end by saying, you know, God is more interested in who you are becoming than what you can do for him. Okay, let's just close our eyes. I want to give you guys a chance because like I was saying, you know, it's easy to spot the immaturity in other people. It's easy to look at other people and say, oh, that person really needs to work on this area of their life. But it's a lot harder sometimes to look at your own immaturity. And I know that many of us here, you know, we've been walking with God for a long time. But there's greater maturity that God wants you to step into. And I think there's a reason why so many messages in New Philly these days have been about Suffering has been about rejoicing through suffering. It's been about holding down the promises of God through the, through the wilderness. And that kind of wilderness season is a season of maturity. And I feel like God is bringing this church into a greater maturity. And so what I want you to do right now is I want you to start praying and asking God, God, search me. Search my heart, oh God. Search my heart, oh God. Show me any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Holy Spirit, search my heart. Pray, God, tear down my walls. Any kind of wall of fear, of pride, of insecurity that I placed in my life, God, tear it down. Penetrate through my walls, God. 
Walk through my walls, Holy Spirit. Father, we just position our hearts right now, God. We position our hearts, Lord, and we submit to your word, God, exhorting us to mature, exhorting us, Father God, to grow in Christ-likeness. And Father, I pray, Lord, that every wall that we have placed in our hearts, God, Father, I take authority right now, God, and I tear down those walls in Jesus' name. Every wall of insecurity, every wall of fear, every wall of pride, God, I pray, Lord, that those walls would start to crumble down right now, Lord. And God, I just declare, Lord, over your people, God, that we are not a people who is in, 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 in this kind of chain to fear, chain to pride, but Lord, we are a people who have opened up our hearts to the work of your spirit, Lord. So God, will you search us? Holy Spirit, search us. Show us the ways in which we can grow and mature. And God, I pray, Lord, that when people look at Seaside, they will say, they will not only say that this church moves in signs and wonders, but they will say that this church looks like Jesus Christ. That the people of this church look like Jesus Christ. That we are mature in you, God. God, grow us. Help us to grow up, Lord. And we position our hearts, Lord, because we know that as long as we do that, God, you are the one who will take us from glory to glory. You are the one who will finish the good work that you've already started in us. And so, God, we submit our hearts to you. We surrender our lives to you right now, Lord. And, God, any kind of fear, God, of authority, of spiritual authority, Father, I find that fear right now in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we recognize, God, that the authorities that you have placed over us, God, are gifts. Lord, they are gifts to us, Lord, to mature us. They are gifts to us to build us up, to exhort us, to edify us. And God, open up the hearts of your people, Lord, to receive and honor the words of those who are placed above them. Yes, Lord, we thank you that we are in this body, that we are in this family, God, that you are chiseling us, Lord, that you are making us and molding us, God. Father, we welcome this process, Lord, no matter how painful it may be. We welcome it, Lord, and we rejoice in it. Father, we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.